You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Today's reading is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Request for prayer. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and destructive. They are not busy, they are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is a distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today is the last in our series called Stand Firm, looking through the second letter to the Thessalonians. And last week, when we looked at 2 Thessalonians 2, Joel gave us a great image of standing firm. He talked about being on a tram or train and needing to have your your feet wide apart and holding onto a strap or rail so that when the tram jolts, you don't fall over. Well, today I want us to think about a different image that of a bike. How do you stand firm on a bike? How do you not fall over on a bike? Well, you need to keep moving forward, don't you? One of the hardest thing on a bike is to balance on it while standing still. You do see lycra clad riders who are able to do this as they wait at the lights. But for us mere mortals, the only way to stay on a bike is to move forward. It doesn't have to be super fast, but you do need to keep moving. And that's a good image for standing firm from this last chapter of 2 Thessalonians. Paul instructs the Thessalonians to do two main things in order to stand firm. To pray 
that the gospel would keep spreading and not be hindered, and to work and not be idle. These are both important actions, and failing to do them will mean not standing firm and, not, and, and being in danger of toppling over. So I'd love you to grab your Bibles and let's have a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 together. Paul's first instruction is in verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. Now, the message of the Lord is the message about Jesus. It's the gospel or good news that Paul has shared with the Thessalonians. The good news about Jesus' death to deal with our sin and to offer us forgiveness. And his resurrection from the dead to offer us life, hope and relationship with God. Paul has dedicated his life to sharing this message and he travelled around the ancient world sharing it with others. And so he invites the Thessalonians to partner with him in this work. They won't be travelling with him, but they can be praying for him in what he's doing. Specifically, he wants them to pray that this message may spread rapidly and be honoured. Uh, literally, it's a prayer that the gospel would run. That's a weird image, isn't it? People run, uh, rivers run, dogs run. But how does a message run? Well, it runs as it's shared far and wide, and it runs as it's then accepted by people who believe it and start following Jesus. That's what Paul means by uh, being honoured, treated for what it is, the truth about Jesus with a response to it needed. That's what the Thessalonians did. And as Paul, uh, as Dell reminded us in the first week of our series, after they accepted it, they started to grow in faith and in love. It, it ran on in their lives as well as running on as it continued to be shared with others. Do we pray like this? That the message of Jesus would be spread rapidly and be accepted by people. This is a vital part of being a follower of Jesus, to want other people to know the good news of Jesus. And so praying regularly and passionately that it would be so. We should be praying for our mission partners, that the gospel would run through their work. For Chris and Julie Dean in East Timor, uh, that the gospel would spread and be accepted. For Bible translation work through Wycliffe, Australia, that as people read the Bible in their heart language, the gospel would spread and be accepted. That as young people see the gospel modelled and hear it explained, through breakaway youth, open house, mustard, that they would accept it and so the gospel would spread. We should be praying for our church community that the same would be true, that through our witness at the town fair that the gospel would spread and be accepted, that kids and families who come along to mainly music, playgroup, going bananas, 
would accept the gospel and so it would spread. That each week as we gather to speak, sing and pray the gospel in our church services, people would grasp and accept it for the first time and so it would spread. Now, if we're praying this way and if we're orientating our ministry so that it's evangelistic and missional, if we are seeing the gospel spread and be accepted, what else should we expect? Well, we should expect opposition, which is why Paul prays as he does in verse 2. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. The flip side of gospel growth is also gospel opposition. That as we offer the good news of Jesus to people, some people will joyfully accept it, but others will heatedly reject it. Paul knows here that he's engaged in a spiritual battle and that prayer is vital in order to stand firm in the midst of this battle. Uh, We pray exactly like this every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. We need God's protection and help as we go about his gospel work. A friend of mine pastors a church in Brisbane, and as he was praying at the start of this year, he had a strong sense that they would be fighting a huge spiritual battle this year. And so he warned his congregation that this would be the year that Satan really tried to attack them, to discourage them, and to stop them. And it's proved to be the case. Tensions within their staff team, uh, a doubling of their rent, putting the premises where they meet beyond their ability to pay, concerted opposition from people who oppose their outreach ministries. Now, there's a simple solution to the problem of opposition to the gospel. Here's what it is. Uh, You can stop proclaiming the gospel. You can turn inward, uh, just say, let's look after ourselves, let's convert the church into more of a social club, really, which never challenges its members and it doesn't try to bring new people in. If you do that, then guaranteed opposition will dry up and the spiritual battle will nicely ease off. But doing that is not standing firm. And so in order to stand firm, we need to pray for gospel growth and also protection from opposition that will necessarily come. And as Paul says in verse 3, when we pray, we can do it with confidence. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. God will answer the prayer for protection. In the case of my friend's church, when they prayed, they saw some miraculous answers, including the reduction of their rent rather than it being doubled. The the Lord is faithful. He'll strengthen and he'll protect And so with Paul, we stand firm by praying, praying for the gospel to spread and be accepted, praying for protection as gospel opposition will inevitably come, 
and praying to a faithful God who enables us to keep working for him. Verses four and five. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Paul also encourages the Thessalonians to stand firm by working. Through both 1 and 2 Thessalonians, we see a problem impacting the church there. There were people in the church who were idle. They decided not to work anymore and just to mooch off the rest of the congregation. Uh, You get the sense in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Now, I wanted to say that if you are struggling to find employment despite your best efforts, then this is not having a go at you. Uh, If you're a student, then your study is your work. That's what takes your time and energy. Uh, And work is also more than paid work. Caring for children, uh, serving in ministry, volunteering for the good of the community, they're all forms of work, even though you don't get paid for it. What's happening here is that these people are choosing to be idle and they're choosing just not to do anything at all. It's not that they're unable to work, it's that they're unwilling to work. Uh, In verse 10, Paul says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. It's a question of willingness and not ability. Now, it's not 100% clear why these people were being idle, but in the context of the letter, it's probably tied up with the beliefs that they have about the return of Jesus. If Jesus is coming back soon, or if he's already come back, then why would you bother working, right? Let's just wait for Jesus' return. Let's wait for him to sort out everything. Now, why was this a problem? Well, for a few reasons. It meant that other members of the church were having to feed these idle people, especially in a strong culture of hospitality. There was an obligation for those people who did have food and money because they were working to provide for those who couldn't feed themselves and had no money because they decided not to work. Now that would have created tensions and resentment in the church community. But another problem came because the people were idle. They didn't have enough to do because they weren't working. And so they were using their spare time to be disruptive and problematic. Now, this happens all the time in our society too. A lack of positive activity often leads to boredom and then to destructive activity. Uh, Spending time gossiping with friends, trolling on social media to get a reaction from people, vandalism. At Thessaloniki, similar things were happening. I love the way that Paul puts it in verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies, right? They're putting all 
this bored spare time that they have into gossip and meddling in other people's lives. They're being busybodies rather than busy. It seems that the idleness led to the disruptive behaviour. Now, in contrast, Paul holds himself and his friends up as an example. That's back in verses 7 and 8. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Paul came to Thessaloniki to share the gospel there, but he supported himself by working his trade as a tent maker at the same time. Now, as a gospel worker, he had the right to be supported. He says that in verse 9, but he chose not to, so he can point to his own example of hard work for the members of the church to imitate. Now, we might be tempted to think that, you know, this is not that serious an issue. It's just a few church members being slack and goofing off. But Paul treats it as a very serious matter indeed. Have a look at verse 14. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. The behaviour here is serious enough that these people are, are actually to be excluded from the Christian community. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. It sounds a bit heavy and, and judgy. Surely being slack and lazy isn't enough to get you kicked out of the church. Well, two things might help us as we think about this. Firstly, remember from what Joel said last week that there's probably more going on here than just laziness. There's false teaching about the return of Jesus having already happened. And this wrong teaching and belief probably led to people quitting their jobs and being idle. Now, this false teaching is serious because it concerns the person and the work of Jesus. And to get that wrong undermines the very foundation of Christian faith. So that helps to explain the seriousness of the situation and the severity of the response. But secondly, the purpose of this discipline is that these people would see the error of their ways, that they repent and change. The hopeful result in verse 14 is that they would feel ashamed of their behaviour. And in verse 15, Paul explicitly tells the church not to treat these people as enemies, but to warn them as fellow believers. He wants them to be jolted out of their behaviour, right? They need to take some responsibility. They need to stop freeloading off the rest of the church. And Paul's hoping that this discipline will see them change their behaviour. It's important for their own sake as well as for the church. He wants them to stand firm, right? If you don't keep moving forward on the bike, you fall off. If they stop working, if they're idle, They'll fall off, they'll become disruptive, they'll become unhelpful. Well, what's the relevance of this for our church community? Firstly, it's a positive affirmation of work. I've used this definition of work from Paul Stevens before, that work is purposeful activity 
involving mental, emotional, or physical energy, or all three, whether remunerated or not. That definition shows the contrast with idleness, right? Work is purposeful. Work takes energy. God has made us to be workers, and there is value in our work. Whether you're a student working by studying and learning, a carer looking after children or uh, an elderly spouse, or a paid worker at a worksite, office, classroom, wherever, there is value, dignity, and worth in your work. And you should do it in acknowledgement that you work for God's glory, as well as for your boss or your teacher's approval. For those of us who do get paid for our work, then we should use what we earn in working to provide for the needs of others, uh, providing food for our families and for those in need, and promoting the spread of the gospel through investing in Christian ministry and mission. Work is good, and so we should see our work through the week as part of our following of Jesus. I think also there's an application to our work in and for the church. You might have heard the saying that in a church, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Much of what happens in mission and ministry depends on the dedicated involvement of a fraction of the congregation who do the hard work for the benefit of the whole. Now, there's some good reason for this. Some of our older members no longer have the capacity to do what they once did. Many of them were the 20% doing the 80% of the work here in the past. Like Paul points out in 2 Thessalonians, this is about a willingness to work, not an ability to work. I would say too that St. John's is better than most churches in having more people involved in leadership and in service. At commissioning services for new ministers, uh, there's a part of the service often where they ask the leaders of the church to stand up and express their support for and their willingness to work with the new minister. Now, I always pay special attention at this point. What percentage of the congregation is going to stand up in this section? How many of these people see themselves as leaders in some way? Uh, Bible study leaders, youth or children's leaders, uh, members of the leadership team, parish council or whatever, uh, music ministry. In unhealthy churches, virtually no one stands up. And you think, this poor new minister starting in this role, they're going to be expected to do it all themselves. But it certainly isn't like that here. But there's always a challenge for each of us. Are we pitching in and serving in our church alongside others? Are we expecting 20% of people to do 80% of the work? Do we turn up and just expect church to happen? Or could we do something to make it happen? Being involved and serving, even in small ways, is a healthy part of our discipleship. It's part of 
standing firm in our faith. As we use the gifts, the time, the energy that God has given us to play our part in the building up of his church. It's part of keeping the bike moving forwards. Because if we stop and we're idle, if we disconnect and we're not involved, then it's very easy to fall off. What is God calling on you to do? How could you be involved? On our website, uh, there's a button, volunteer button, uh, and that links you to a survey form enabling you to express a desire to serve and to nominate those areas that God has given you as gifts or a passion that you have to serve. Throughout this letter, Paul has been encouraging the Thessalonians to stand firm. And it's an encouragement for us to stand firm as well. We stand firm by turning to God in prayer, praying that the gospel will spread and be accepted and that people who oppose the gospel will be restrained. We stand firm by continuing to work and not be idle, doing good work in our daily lives, in whatever work or study God has called us to, and doing good work as church members, contributing to the mission and the ministry we share together. As we do that, we can adopt the final blessing that Paul gives us here as our own. Now may the Lord of peace himself Give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.